you are listening to Historically, a show where we decolonize history and debunk myths and misinformation taught to you in school and on corporate media. My name is JD, and this is my co-host, Isha. While the Trump administration has been making a big deal out of the migrant caravan, they are also insinuating that many of them are criminals and pose a potential danger to the U.S. But I think that in order to truly understand our obligation to the migrants from El Salvador, Honduras, and Guatemala, we need to understand our history and involvement in these countries. Today, Ken Klippenstein from TYT Network joins us to talk about the recent history of intervention and also how our intervention has led to deleterious effects for these people who are seeking a refuge. By the way, um, I just wanted to tell you all music on our show is done by Rectech. Please follow him on SoundCloud and on Twitter. And it's spelled W-R-E-C-K underscore T-E-C-H on Twitter. So where do you live these days? Madison, Wisconsin. Oh, oh you're still in Ma- Madison, Wisconsin. I thought you were working for TYT. I am, but I'm the one employee that's not in LA <laughs> or New York. They're, they're, they have two, their big, their main thing is in LA, but they have uh, people in, they have, they have like a thing in New York too. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm always impressed with your foyas. Um, so do you want to talk about um, some of the m- more recent disturbing foyas you uncovered? <laughs> yeah, literally anything you guys want to talk to. Talk okay, about. go for it. Um, so you uncovered this really gross, not gross, but disturbing one about ICE ordering all these devices from like a torture chamber? It's these are restraints that they have been authorized to use on ICE detainees. Oh my god! And can you describe one or two of them for the podcast audience? Sure. So it wasn't just um, handcuffs, although those were included. It was also these masks that uh, supposedly uh, are used so that they can't um, spit on people, but it also makes it so they can't, um, you know, see. And there were warnings on it that people would think they could hyperventilate and choke to death, so it's not supposed to be used in any sort of tense situation which you would think if someone's spitting at you that would be a tense situation but um so there were uh hoods they called them um what was funny about it was the company was called safari land or something and so that seemed like a very it kind of seems racist okay i think so yeah (laughs) and a lot of these companies are run by um a lot of these firms that make these restraints and things you might think of it as being you know there's behavioral scientists a lot of research um these things are often run by former cops Hmm. so rather than uh, whatever you might, whatever you might have imagined, that was sort of a surprise to me. So they've got the masks. They have a full body restraint that looks like a straight jacket that they can put people in. And these things have been um, implicated, um, supposedly, um, in in a number of deaths. Um, oh God, that hasn't been proven in court yet. I should, uh, you know, include that disclaimer. But it's still being, it's like it's still being litigated, and it has been, you know, it has been blamed um, in a number of cases. This year or throughout the lifetime of using it 
over the last few years. Did the Obama administration use this in their ICE facilities? It's not clear because um, when they showed, so the list of stuff I got was what was authorized during 20, in, in uh, 2017, so that was in the Trump administration, but they wouldn't give me the previous one, so I don't know. Um, the fact that they authorized new ones, mean, I mean, you know, there were new ones in there, but I, I don't know which ones are which. Wow. Um, so the second FOIA I'd like to talk about is um, the the one on July 3rd, where you said that um, that ICE was training people on how to use M4 assault rifles and chemical weapons. That's right. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, so they um, had ordered a bunch of um, guns, and I, you know, it's easy. Activists sometimes get excited about these sort of things, like, oh, my God, it's an invasion or something. And maybe they jump the gun a little bit, um, no pun intended. But um, so I talked to a former ICE agent who told me that, who told me that, um, you know, this was, uh, it seemed like they were, quote, I think the quote was something like going, going to war or something. So he thought it was pretty shocking, the number of um, weapons that they were stockpiling as well. And then as for the chemical agents, they were they had tear gas, things like that, which, um, you know, you might think more would be used in like urban settings by like SWAT and things like that. It seems strange that people at the border are going to be um, using, it would need these kind of things. But in any case, that, that was what they had uh, ordered under the Trump administration. With my experience with tear gas is exactly that. Like they use it in um, more urban settings. And mine is mostly just... Uh, activism in the St. Louis area and it seems like in an open area like that it would be very easy for it to just blow over or blow back on people who aren't involved. Do you believe they're creating a maybe a sport branch of the military? Like what is their agenda here? Well another um, document that I found shows that they had a you know very high-ranking former CIA official training ICE agents in um what's called elicitation, which sounds to me like a euphemism for um, interrogation to try to, you know, pull out information from, from people. And what surprised me again, my sources in ICE, um, former, former ICE officials told me that, um, you know, they couldn't understand why they would need to be trained in interrogation and also why they would need to be trained by someone who specialized in counterterror because ICE is not a very sophisticated organization, at least not the people they were training in these methods, um, what's called enforcement and removal officers. These guys are just supposed to grab somebody, put them in a paddy wagon, and then they get processed somewhere else. They're not supposed to handle terror stuff. Terror stuff is supposed to go through the FBI. So um, all of these things, in my opinion, um, suggest that there is an increasing militarization of ICE under the present administration, beyond even what already existed, and it wasn't great under Obama either. Now that you mentioned CIA, that would be a good segue into the past. So can we quickly change gears to talk about the 2009 coup? Sure. So in 2009, there was a coup in Honduras. Um, The Honduran military overthrew Manuel Zelaya. He was a Relatively progressive figure. He increased the minimum wage by something like 70%, uh, made school enrollment free, um, was working on land reform um, in a country like that. You know, the oligarchs own a lot of the land and people are stuck trying to, you know, make make do in a country that works a lot in agriculture. So, um, you know, by no means am I saying he was a perfect figure, but things were broadly improving. And you can see that I linked to a, several sources in the piece, um, whether it's UN figures or... Um, um, various um, economic groups, just you know, seeing that socioeconomic indices were improving across the board in the country under under Zelaya from 2006, I think it was, to 2009, and then as soon as the coup government comes in, all of that goes out the window. Uh, 
uh, crime, homicide skyrocket, poverty skyrockets, and it just the state institutions collapse, which is what you would expect happens when they you know drive out a um, you know popular uh, democratically elected um, figure. And and the reason I wrote about it, um, so that's all sort of Honduras. But in the background, um, Obama initially called the coup, condemned the coup as illegal. And so a lot of uh, people internationally were sort of looking to the U.S. We should remember in Central America, the U.S. casts a huge shadow because it's just such a powerful state, not just militarily, but economically, too, and um, kind of politically and diplomatically. So everyone was kind of looking at the U.S. like, oh, okay, so is this new gov- government illegitimate or is it legitimate? I should note, too, the Latin American countries, um, you know, overwhelmingly um, condemned it as illegitimate and didn't want to recognize the new government. But... Um, but what ended up happening was the Obama administration uh, kind of did a 180 and ended up uh, saying that, saying that you know, maybe we should uh, work with these guys. And Hillary Clinton, in her autobiography, in her memoir, she describes, um, you know, helping to um, ensure that the new elections under the coup regime would be uh, recognized, uh, rendering the question of Zelaya moot. Uh, that's like close to a quote from from her um from her memoir and that was so that created such a scandal in the region in, in Latin America that uh, in a subsequent edition of the book they actually had to remove it um, because the you know the, the government doesn't want you know it looks bad to especially to Latin America to to see that the US um, played some role in, in ensuring that Zelaya wouldn't be reinstated as the leader. So when they removed Zelaya there's two things that stand out in this coup for me the first thing is that Zelaya was quote unquote removed on the order of an administrative law judge. Um, and it's kind of a, the, the use of the judiciary system is eerily ominous of what they did to Dilma in Brazil. So I wonder if it, this has been a new US tactic for longer than we thought. I think there's something to what you're saying. Um, in countries like this, the governments are very weak, and so um, they, you know, they have constitutional they have constitutional crises a lot more. But I mean, Zelaya was an extremely popular figure, and whatever the judiciary may have done, you know, was certainly going against the will of at least the majority of the population. Anyways, the reason I think all this is relevant is because if you look at the migrant caravan, which has been the big story in the news, and everyone's supposed to be scared and uh, kind of you know, quivering inside their homes, worrying that they're going to come and we're going to be invaded or something. The majority of that caravan are Hondurans. And if you, uh, you know, I cite the statistics in the piece, there was over a thousand percent increase in um, migration of unaccompanied Honduran minors into the U.S. Um, from 2009, you know, following the coup until 2014. So um, I don't think it's a stretch to say that the coup has at least a major role to play in the um, you know, let's call it what it is, the refugee flow to the U.S. Uh, they're always called migrants. I even hear liberals, um, unfortunately, describe them as migrants, but I think a better word might be refugees because um, if you look at the political situation in Honduras, it's really just unlivable, and they're fleeing, you know, uh, literal violence. It was the homicide capital of the world not long ago. It was um, found, I think, by, by by U.N. statistics. So, So all of this, I think, is necessary background that, unfortunately, is left out whenever we talk about the caravan. Is there a, um, do you think there's a reason why the media tends to hammer the term migrant into people's head and strategy? Because like you said, like migrant itself implies some sort of like choice or 
like different kind of scenario where the people whereas the people definitely are like fleeing horrible violence um yeah i think there's a reticence in general among washington and i would include you know the media um to be you know they're very close to washington there's a reticence on their part to talk about bad stuff we've done in 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 foreign policy i mean just look at wars they're often criticized as maybe being you know incompetent or dumb or maybe we can't win it but you don't often hear it said like oh the war was unjust or you know maybe we violated international law by doing it so yeah i think there's a general reticence to talk about those things but then also everything's just really dumb too everything has to be very simple and uh like you guys are having me on a you know to talk about this but uh you know you can't really express that kind of background in a soundbite so i I think there's a few different um factors and why people don't get to hear the background it's unfortunate i think americans would be a little more sympathetic to them if they realize that you know they're not just looking for money like you know it's often said um sort of in mainstream circles i hear like oh they're just looking for a better life and it's kind of like someone's running out of a burning house and it's like oh they were just looking for a better home and it's like well that's not quite true i don't think it's like a weird way to put it right <laughs> especially when we're the arsonist exactly we played a if we played a role in it uh you know we should probably try to compensate them a little bit and i think if you if you know if if democrats could make that case that might be a little more persuasive to people than these sort of vague aphorisms that we use now which is no you know no one is illegal and this which is like sounds nice and i probably agree with like yeah that's a nice attitude like no one is illegal but not everyone you know you have a lot of really angry people that feel like they don't have enough money and they have this impression that well why are we just giving it to these guys or something and that's not i don't think that's what's happening but um, you know, if you don't tell them the whole story, they're probably going to be confused. That's exactly why we exist as a podcast. <laughs> but the exact situation was El Salvador, but that's another story. Is, is it Nestor who's the president now? Uh, I don't even know. <laughs> it's just funny. No, no, now it's Orlando. Okay, okay. Um, what did you think that happened with the Orlando regime that made Honduras sig- that much more dangerous? Well, whenever you have a coup, um, institutions tend to collapse. And, um, you know, it wasn't just the United States. The oligarchs within the country um, hated Zelaya for his reforms because it probably cost them some money to try to, you know, ameliorate poverty and things like that. So um, what do they do in response? Well, uh, they want to do something like um, austerity, where they're going to defund everything. And so once you see those institutions collapse, you see that sort of the police were disarray. I mean, it's not clear when there's a coup, who's in charge of what. And so um, even basic law enforcement stuff sort of becomes difficult to, you know, salaries stop getting paid, the whole thing's a mess. So um, yeah, I, th- I think just the general collapse of the state um, is, is, is in part what, I mean, and also poverty, um, internationally, it's harder to get, you know, who wants to invest, who wants to put money and do business with a country where you don't know what's going to happen the next day, who's going to be in charge of what. So, I mean, there's a lot of factors, but I would say a lot of it was the coup. And the cost of producing and recording, we need your help. Please become a patron. It is as cheap as $5 a month and you get exclusive access to all our patron-only content. To become a patron, go to HTTP colon slash slash www.patreon.com slash historic underscore Lee. Can you explain, uh, for me it's obvious, but let's say you're talking to somebody who's maybe a more right-wing person. Why are, why did these parents send unaccompanied minors uh, up here in a very dangerous journey? Yeah, it's, it's kind of close to home for me. My mother came from El Salvador uh, around the time of the Civil War. 
and I asked her the same question because she came undocumented when I was a little kid. I heard a lot of people saying stuff about, you know, illegals and they don't follow the law, they're aliens and all these things. So I asked mom, I was like, mom, why didn't you just do it legally? And she just kind of laughed. She's like, it's impossible. I was like, what do you mean? She's like, they're, gonna, they're not gonna let someone who is poor come into the country. Like, why would they want to do that? And it was just sort of like a <laughs> very direct, uh, kind of like wake up call to how the world really works. I mean, you know, if you're not a medical doctor or, you know, a wealthy businessman or something, it's very difficult to get um, either asylum or, I mean, that's what's sad about the debate. They're like, oh, they're just seeking asylum. It's like, well, the sad part of that is most of them turned away and not, I don't think in my opinion, because they're not, you know, legitimate um, refugees, but just because the standards are so, so high to um, let someone in. I think we might relax them if we were involved in, in, in what caused them to, to leave the country, in my opinion. So uh, the next question is, I hear, like, I kind of know the journey, but I hear it's very hard and dangerous. Can you kind of go through the journey? Let's say that I'm in Tegucigalpa. Like, what is the journey that I would, I would take to get to the border? Yeah, a lot of conservatives think that they're just um, waiting to knock down the door, but um, these are several countries away, and they have to pass through various countries that have to pass through Mexico, which works with the U.S. a lot to, um, you know, restrain, restrain migration. So it's a very long journey. Um, you know, they, they can get, um, I mean, a big part, they, oh, half of them, the caravans supposedly are, are women and children. And then they say, well, why are these men coming if it's just these? It's like, well, if you don't have the men there, then they can get attacked by gangs and things like that. So you sort of need the men there to um, provide some modicum of protection. But, um yeah, as you say, it's an extraordinarily dangerous um, journey. And if anything, they should be pitied, not um, maligned, I think. People are smuggling large amounts of cocaine in sophisticated ships and planes. Does this make the right wing fear that migrants are hiding drugs in their bags more ridiculous? Yeah, I think so. Um, the You know, if, if, if you're talking about gangs and things like that, they're not going to be um, coming to you know, these um, border facilities to request asylum, they're just going to try to be riding a boat across or something, you know, <laughs> so. Actually, um, one thing, uh, people, a lot of people don't understand. I, I know we're doing this, a lot of basic stuff, but they just think you can cross the border and then say, hey, I need asylum, and then you get a visa. Can you talk about how long the process is and what they have to do? Oh, it's ridiculous. My mom didn't have citizenship and she was married to a legal resident and everything and she had kids and everything until I was like 12. And, uh, you know, she was obviously working on that since at least the time that I was born. So this is a process. Let's look at the phraseology of how they talk about it on the news. They're never talking about giving people citizenship. They're always talking about a pathway to citizenship, which is a sort of euphemism for, uh, you know, kind of buying yourself out of, uh, indentured servitude, in my opinion, um, in the sense that you have to work such and such years, you can never have a, you know, criminal, even like a misdemeanor, I think, or something. And it, it's, ex it's just extremely onerous and, and people don't understand. I mean, the way the right wing talks about it, it sounds like we're just throwing all this wonderful stuff at them. But um, this is something that can take, you know, over a decade. Um, and if you even are given the visa to begin with, and, and many, many, probably most people are not. So it's not trivial at all. Um, can we switch gears slightly to El Salvador? Um, are you familiar with the extortion rings? If so, can you explain to everyone what they are? Not with them in particular, but the crime rate is just so insane. The only reason it's not the kind of the crime capital of the hemisphere is just because Honduras is even worse right now. 
but that's another case of you get a you get the collapse of institutions um, following a brutal civil war that you know, unfortunately our government had a had a role with the security forces there in suppressing a sort of left progressive movement and then yeah and then you have a failed state that um, is just a breeding ground for crime and and you know people are going to try to survive however they can and, and and that's where these criminal gangs emerge and just make it unlivable i mean just in my personal life my family used to go there every year to um you know see old friends and, and other family that's still there they don't go anymore and it's too dangerous so um you know it's it's just it's it's a hell <laughs> the one thing that i do have a question about are you familiar with the tigres force in el Sal in honduras the intercept ran this article basically that they're these uh, super they're like the elite forces and they're training them in some military base in alabama and um last year honduras apparently had an election which was filled with election fraud and they think the guy cheated. And then there were a lot of protests and apparently like these American trained uh, elite forces were responsible for cracking down on the protests. And so it uh, seems like we're still kind of putting our hands in it and making it dirty. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. That, that, that sort of, uh, it's easy to get bogged down in, in contemporary stuff, but if you just look at the Honduran military, many of them were trained at the School of the Americas uh, right here in the United States. So that's a crucial background. And without that history, it's really hard to for for people to understand why these things are happening and, and, and why these states have failed to develop and so on and so forth. So yeah, I think that would sound that sounds like a you know pretty good illustration of the problems. Is there an indigenous population in Honduras? I believe there is, but as throughout Central America generally in Mexico, um, they're you know horribly mistreated. Um, I remember my my mother would never would always be like, "Oh, I don't have any Indian blood. I'm I'm just white. You know, I'm just European." And I'd be like, "Well, why is your skin dark?" And she's like, "I don't know. It's just kind of funny, but I'm not." And then I didn't. I thought it was just racism, but I you know looked into it and read about it, and there were all these horrible extermination campaigns going you know, back to even the um, 19th century, as recently as, the, or, you know, as, as distant as the 19th century. So there's just this attitude that you want to try to align yourself with the non-Indigenous population for safety reasons. And then also the government is constantly trying to push them out of their land for either, you know, um, agricultural reasons or other uh, kind of political motives. Agriculture could include bananas. <laughs> I actually will not. You also, one FOIA I kind of forgot to talk about was Ted, since we all hate Ted Cruz and tomorrow's day, so do tell us about that. Um, yeah, so what I found was that um, Ted Cruz's national security advisor, so I found two different things. His national security advisor had done um, PR work for a um, dictator of the Ivory Coast, who currently is before the, I, the um, International Criminal Court for Crimes Against Humanity. Um, you know, running child soldiers, rape, um, you know, extrajudicial killings, murder, so on and so forth. Um, so he had done PR work for this guy after he refused to step down <clears throat> from office after he lost an election. And, you know, this was noted by the UN and others that, that, the, that he had, you know, he had properly lost the election and the other guy should be in charge. And so then they had a crackdown on the opposition. Um, and so that's, this is this person who, who did that PR work for that guy, um, they ended up having to drop the contract because it became such a controversy um, after a story in the New York Times about it. And he was actually working for Lanny Davis, a longtime Clinton 
operative um, who had represented Bill Clinton during the uh, Monica Lewinsky scandal and several others during um, his administration. So they were working together on that. And of course, Ivory Coast, that's West Africa. It's a little, it's not as germane to what we're talking about. But another thing I found was that um, Lanny Davis had also worked on a pretty similar case in defending the coup regime of um, of Honduras. And he worked for the ambassador of Honduras who himself was finance connected. Son, I think works at Goldman Sachs, if I remember correctly, wealthy family. Um, and they were, and they were representing this, this coup government. And then um, Ted Cruz's national security advisor um, was vice president of the firm that was working with Lanny Davis uh, in representing the Honduran coup government. And I, it just was a kind of shocking hypocrisy. I mean, not surprising, but the hypocrisy kind of is difficult to ignore given Cruz's, you know, kind of virulent rhetoric on, immigration and such. And, and I just think, you know, if he really cared about illegal immigration, perhaps he could, you know, not be hiring people who, you know, may have had a, had a role in, in, in ensuring the collapse of these states that itself ensures the, you know, flow of migration to the U.S. Wow. The bipartisan nature of the foreign policy always shocks me. Right. Yeah. Neither party has been good for Latin America, unfortunately. Do you, are you familiar with what Bolton said over the weekend about the Troika of tyranny? Yeah, it seems like he's starting trying to start a new thing. It almost feels like the Bush administration. I mean, he is a Bush administration <laughs> person, but here we are. Time is a flat circle. And he's trying to, you know, it seems like start stuff with the kind of left-wing white American governments. And he may succeed um, in, in certain respects um, now that Brazil has gone far right with Bolsonaro. Do you think the uh, crackdown... On my on immigrants is deliberate on the GOP part as a way of maybe engineering their electorate. Do you mean uh, fears of a demographic shift not favoring? Yeah. In my experience, and you know, I know some GOP strategists, and um, there is planning, but a lot of it is just reacting to what is on the thing before them. And my own guess is it's just playing to the resentments and fear. In, in anger of their um, voter base to win immediately this long. I don't know that there's, I'm sure some people, you know, have long-term plans, but in general, I don't, I don't often find that to be the case. Yeah. Cause that's what I was always um, thinking on the back of my head is it seems like if you're going to deport a lot of minorities, um, a lot of the pro-Democrat electorate would be done, but that's why I am, forever mad at the Obama administration because they should have followed what Reagan did and just um, gave mass amnesty to everyone instead of the weird DACA thing. Because then I, I bet you Hillary would have, like, not that I'm Hillary Plan, but Hillary would have won if Obama had just said mass amnesty for everyone who's here illegally. We would seem to help the Democrats a lot, but one thing people don't often account for is, um, you know, maybe the Republicans could just be more vicious with disenfranchisement efforts and things. I mean, um, when LBJ, um, you know, did some of the civil rights stuff, he said, I believe, if I recall, you know, some of his thinking was, oh, we can have black people vote for the Democrats. And then the Republicans just respond by just, you know, doing all of these games with whether it's gerrymandering or voters or any form of voter suppression to try to respond to that. So um, I'm always a little wary of of kind of like um, this faith in, in demographic shifts, uh, you know, for the Democratic Party. Strategically, the best thing for the Democratic Party is to make sure that everyone here gets citizenship because that's a large voting block they could use. But instead, Obama ramped up the deportations. Like, why self-sabotage? Well, I can only speculate, but um, 
you know, it appears that by and large, the Democratic strategy has been to target, at least under Trump, um, disillusioned kind of like center moderate Republicans. And um, maybe that's why. Um, that's one guess. An- another guess is I, I wonder if business would be opposed, you know, since business uh, contributes large sums of money to both parties. I wonder if, if they like having a very precarious workforce um, that, that, you know, wouldn't be under the same kind of um, precarity if, if they, if they got citizenship. Another factor, I don't know. There's a, there's probably a lot of factors. Can you tell me more about the uh, ICE detention centers and the contracts they have with other for-profit people? Um, Yeah, it's weird. They've farmed out a lot of the work to these non-profits and the, you know, Nonprofits or for-profits? Both. Um, and the difficulty with that is that there's less transparency um, when it's a private body as opposed to a government body. I mean, you know, people hate the government a lot, but at least you can FOIA them. You know, there's some presumption of transparency, uh, you know, around private bodies. That's not true at all. You can't FOIA a private body. You can't. There, There's no, there's basically no presumption of transparency aside from occasional like quarterly reports and things that they have to do through the SEC and stuff like that. So um, I think it should be run, you know, and when you run it through these, yeah, when you run it through these private groups, the public is going to have less of an understanding about what's going on. So why is Trump sending like all these military, like there's nothing at the border there. Why are, what's up with this crazy military people going there? Well, again, I can only speculate, but the reporting has, uh, that I've seen su- suggest that, that this is, you know, just a naked pitch to his base. Um, kind of have some photo ops, see some exciting military guys stomping around, let the nativist portion of, of his base get excited. That, oh, yeah, look at that. He's getting down to business. <laughs> Even though they can't actually, they're not actually, you know, permitted to um, do law enforcement stuff. Um, but yeah, it just seems like a lot of optics to me. One thing I forgot to ask you about the um, migrant chairman, um, a, a lot of them, took refuge in Mexico, right? Like applied for asylum. Since the new president is from AMLO and he's left wing, like how is he reacting versus um, Nieto? Well, to my knowledge, there's not the same hysteria around it. The idea that every one of these guys is MS-13 and their kids are going to come and break into your house and steal all your stuff. The response seems more rational. Um, It seems more humanitarian in nature. And um, if what you're concerned about is security, um, you know, if you don't try to help these people, that then it can start to lead to not necessarily the violence that the right wing seems to envision, but, um, you know, desperate people have to, you know, do things to survive. So it seems a lot more rational. And what's funny is uh, when I hear Trump talk about immigration, he's like, the Mexico, they're coming, they're not presenting their best. People don't really immigrate to the U.S. from Mexico anymore. Look at a, you can look at the data on it, and it shows that after the 2008 crash, um, the migration from Mexico basically collapsed. I mean, we haven't seen migration from Mexico in any sort of, you know, detectable numbers in years. <laughs> so it's kind of weird that he picks, you know, I mean, you have to wonder uh, if the people, if he knows the difference between Mexico and he, I just picture him thinking Mexico is everything to the south of the United States. Oh yeah. That makes sense because I heard it was like, almost, if you count the number of Americans who move to Mexico every year and the number of Mexicans who move to America, it's kind of like evens out. So it doesn't even count. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And I think some of that at least is just the standard of living is not enormously better in the U S than in, in, in Mexico for a working class person. I think um, Mexico's well, Mexico's not as poor as people think. It's a major, I think it's maybe in the top 10 
GDPs for a nation. And um, I'm not saying it's great. Uh, you know, the, it's much more repressive and things, but um, it's it's not the same as Honduras and El Salvador. That insight is very brilliant because you are right. Um, that's probably what he does is he can't tell the difference and he just assumes everyone who speaks Spanish is Mexican. Yeah, he probably thinks MS-13 is like Mexico or something. It's, it's funny, but um, also a little terrifying since <laughs> he runs everything now. <laughs> Earlier you brought up... Um... We were talking about how Democrats, like why, or Isha asked why um, Democrats would often vote for more deportation efforts. And uh, you're you're in the Midwest right now, correct? Yes. Um, I'm in Missouri, like Claire McCaskill, a lot of her ads, when anytime it mentions immigration, she brings up and like border security. And the thing is, I'm curious if where you're at in the Midwest, if there's that same kind of subtle racism going on. Oh, totally. Uh, I've seen ads where they have, uh, I saw Scott Walker ad a few years ago where it was talking about it just had a sort of blurry image of this undifferentiated mass of brown people in the background and it said something like um welfare to your money it is being spent and they wouldn't come out and say it directly but you know the imaging the messaging is clear and there's generally an attitude in northern wisconsin a lot of the elections are sort of between milwaukee and madison and the rest of the state there's an attitude that madison and milwaukee are these you know scary urban havens of crime and all these things so yeah, I think that's definitely plays a role. Do you do you ever see it come from Democrats at all there? No, not as no, I don't think so. I mean, not as uh, definitely not as overt. No, I don't really see any overt racism on the part of Democrats. Um, may, maybe subtle to the extent that there is in the culture generally, but they're actually pretty good on that, at least as far as I can tell. Um, one thing I'm so scared of is what happens. Who was the crazy lady who said she's willing to shoot? People crying across the board. Christian, I can't remember her name. Um, Nelson. Yes, yes, sir. Like, how much are they willing to escalate this and make it a bloodbath? Well, it's sort of a difficult question. Like we were saying before, Definitely. it's a lot of optics, but optics can become, um, you know, kinetic. It, that is to say, um, you know, you can. I remember all these very smug people saying Trump wants to do the Muslim ban. Um, well, there's one small problem: the Constitution. <laughs> and then, of course, it happened because the Constitution, you know, we have Gitmo, we have all these patently unconstitutional things. The people who, people, yeah, the piece of yeah, paper. people who wrote the Constitution had slaves. The whole thing's a joke. So um, I don't. So uh, it's sort of a difficult question. Um, you know, I think right now it's just, um, uh, you know, a, a, a photo op. But but these things can, you know, gain a sort of momentum of their own and then become something else. So. Especially when you're considering the right-wing militias that are gearing up and then the counter-protesters that will follow suit. Right, yeah. And if those two go at each other, then the already militarized force there could, it's... Yeah, no, I think you're right to be concerned about it. Um, You know, I'm not seeing anything um, major yet. Um, I think we'd probably hear if the military, um, you know, opened fire on anybody, but... um, it, it, it's it you know the question is what are they going to do to rein in these these militias that are coming in and what might they do that's what we don't know so in 2014 um when there was such a big surge well how did the u.s react to it and how do you think um the u.s will react four years later you mean um and in, in the migration surge uh-huh. so-called migration surge i guess i should say um uh-huh. it didn't seem as 
it was a massive surge, but I mean, it's still a very small country. And, and, you know, one should remember the U S is a very large country. So what's, what's, you know, what, what can be a catastrophic for a country as tiny as Honduras, uh, you know, may not even register very much, uh, you know, in a, in a, in a country of our size. So I don't know that it, I don't know that it registered a whole lot. You're seeing a lot more of that with Trump because, um, you know, that's the kind of thing his base wants to hear. So that's pretty interesting. So if no one mentioned it, probably because of how tiny Honduras is, most Americans probably would not have noticed. Yeah, it's really not that many people. Um, Even compared to Mexico, it's quite small. I mean, these countries, if you look at like El Salvador, you could scarcely find it on a map. It's so tiny. One thing is, I I know you're really passionate about this. Um, Can you talk about any misinformation that Trump or the GOP has spread and what the truth is? Oh, God, where do I start? Um, do you mean misinformation about the um, migration stuff? Yeah, no, about the migrants themselves. Uh, I think generally um, the idea that they're violent. I mean, these... Well, I guess the first one I wanted trying to lead to you to is the they're all gang members. Right. And uh, when he talks about MS-13, that is a syndicate that started in Los Angeles in the United States. It did not originate in Central America. Um and when you look at these migrants, these are, you know, some of the weakest, most desperate people, um, you know, maybe in the world. Uh, these are not hardened gang members of the sort that um, probably have, um, you know, better material conditions since, uh, you know, it pays to be in a gang. That's something people don't like to say, but it, 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 it might better than, you know, being a migrant laborer. So, um, yeah, these, these guys that are going to ask for as, asylum, uh, no gang member is going to want to go into a, you know, a border office and say, here I am, <laughs> uh, process me and see if you'll let me in. So um, I would say generally the most disinformation is, a, is just this notion that they're dangerous. Um, it just doesn't seem to be any evidence for that. And there's good evidence that um, immigrants actually are you know, engage in, uh, you know, uh, violence or criminal activity less than, than, you know, American born citizens. I mean, it's pretty hard to be more dangerous than most, than Americans. We have equal number of guns and people. <laughs> right. The other one I heard, heard, I think Fox News did this, like they mentioned that they have strange diseases. Yeah, I don't, again, it's just, uh, this is all reminiscent of um, you know, the 20s and the 30s, they would talk about these kind of things about the, you know, lower races, so-called. Um, I mean, we've, it's all the same stuff we've seen before, just in uh, kind of new packaging. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the disease part is so bizarre because you can always immunize people <laughs> at the border. Is there anything else that we didn't ask that you think people should know about? No, I feel like, we, no, you guys were great. Uh, I'm glad that we were able to tie the different stories together, like the crew's the two cruise stories has kind of had a thread between them. So that was nice. Is there anything you would like to plug or uh, promote or anything like that? I would say just check me on Twitter. Cause that's where I try to aggregate all the stuff that I, that I do. Um, yeah. Just follow me on Twitter at Ken Klippenstein. I think I'm probably the only Ken Klippenstein on Twitter. Oh yeah. I've been following you for, for years, probably since like 2013, 2013, maybe. Oh, right on. Well, for me, the best one is when you figured out the U.S. plane refueling the Saudi plane mid funeral. Oh, I was angry about that because yeah. Mattis up there saying, oh yeah, we're not going to let him get away with anything. Literally, like a day later, we are training, we have this contract to train them on, in, on U.S. soil. Like, come wow. on, man. <laughs> well, are, are there any interesting stories you're, I know you can't totally talk about it, but what kind of storyline, I guess, reporting are you headed towards? Ooh, I've got a good one about 
um, our buddy, um, what is his name? Steve King. Sit tight for that one. I can't say anything more. But Steve King is he the the racist? Yep. The <laughs> the like. Ooh. Yeah. Like Trump, Trump mini or something. I don't know why. <laughs> the thing I don't understand is he's been like saying like really horrible racist stuff for like twenty years now. So why haven't yeah. they tried it's, before it's now tough. to make a serious effort to get rid of him? Just because well liberals and like David Frum and all those guys care about it now because because they, they want to get rid of Trump and Trump they think embodies. Yeah, you're exactly right. But now everyone's thinking it's a little harder to ignore when you know you have the president up there wailing about the killers and all these things so uh, yeah i think it's just become more difficult to ignore i will look forward to that um well one thing that i noticed about steve king that's ridiculously corrupt is that he hires his daughter and son-in-law as his campaign managers and gives them like three thousand dollars every month who does that remind you of (laughs) good point (laughs) excellent point all right thank you very much all right guys it was really nice chatting with you All right, take care, guys. Bye-bye.